Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. The title of my sermon today is Today. And I take this from the third chapter of Hebrews. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. And then we have this contrast to Moses. But Christ is faithful as the Son of God over God's house. Now, I don't want you to be confused. This is inferring that Christ is God, and He is over God's house, Him being God, it's His house. We are His house. We are the house He is over. If indeed, and here's the caveat, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Holy Spirit says today, and that's where I get my sermon title, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did In the rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter into my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if, indeed, there's another if, We hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now, first I want to deal with the word today as to expressing relevance. That is... Today, this message is for us. God didn't stop talking to men when the last chapter of the Bible was penned. He's still talking to us today. It's relevant. This world is dismissing God, dismissing the Bible, trying to claim that it's irrelevant writings, historical ramblings of unbelievable fantasies and fairy tales. But it's relevant. The Bible isn't a series of documents from antiquity 
that only has historical significance. God declares His Word to be, in the King James Version, quick. It's a little misleading because we don't understand quick to be alive. We think it means fast. But the better translations, His Word is alive. It's a living document. And powerful. And what? Yeah, that's right. Many of you have it. Sharper than a double-edged sword. It's relevant. It speaks to us today. God speaks to us today. In Pentecostal theology, we believe that although the Bible is written to an audience and it has a specific context, that somehow there is always a spiritual overtone. There is a message that can be gleaned from the Scriptures that is applicable to us. We don't just view it as, oh, that was a message just to somebody. It means nothing to me. We always want to understand the context. It's important to understand context. But it's also to understand what is the Spirit speaking to us? What is the Word saying to us today? So the writer of Hebrews reaches way back into the history of Israel and pulls up a story of Israel's wanderings in the wilderness. And the writer, and I'm saying this anonymously because it is debated, highly and hotly debated, who wrote Hebrews. I've, for many years, leaned towards Paul being the author, but there's some pretty convincing evidence it may not have been Paul. So rather than make that the issue of my sermon, I'll just refer to the author of Hebrews. So the author of Hebrews reaches back and finds an Old Testament story and does what I'm talking about. He makes application. What can we learn? Of course we understand what happened to Israel in the wilderness. What does the Holy Spirit say to us today if we read that story? And that's what the writer is doing. He's saying today. That story has relevance Today, there's this common adage that we have all heard that says, if we don't learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it. Whether that's very recent history or history from long ago. I just hate it when I injure myself and I go back and I injure myself the same way again. I did not learn from my history. And in the same way, we can laugh at ourselves as fools if we don't learn from history that teaches us better. That's the reason we should understand what the Bible says. We can learn from mistakes other people made. How convenient is that? If we're just smart enough to learn, instead of ignoring that and saying, it won't happen to me, they were not as smart as I am. But we make the same mistakes. Napoleon invaded Russia. And Russia's 
strategy was to keep backing up, getting deeper and deeper into the heart of their own country and luring Napoleon and his army in until they got so deep in the country and the Russian winners took over that the Russians were prepared for the weather, but Napoleon wasn't. And he was unable to bring a victory against Russia. He lost. Hitler wanted to invade Russia. He was well aware of Napoleon's failure. But Russia played the same trick. He was drawn in deeper and deeper. He thought he was smarter. He thought he had Blitzkrieg, the lightning strike. We'll take him. But he's lured in deeper and deeper. The winters became too harsh, and Hitler couldn't take Russia. He didn't learn from history. I don't know how many of you here have read The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, but it is a thick book and a hard book to read, and probably few of you have endured to read the whole thing. I've endeavored to read it. I've read parts of it. I don't know that if I'm going to have a lifetime I could ever get through that book. But it's just chock full of valuable information of what made the Roman Empire fall. Are we going to learn from history if we study Rome? Well, it's interesting to study Rome. We know from historians what the weaknesses of this this empire were. They they started outsourcing their grain production. Didn't raise their own crop. Just let's let other countries raise it and sell it to us. Therefore, when they got into dire straits, they didn't have their own sustenance, their own supplies. They were supply uh, depending on other people, and they were cut off. It destroyed their independence. They promoted welfare in the empire to the point that there were more people living off of the state than there were paying into the system, and the system began to crumble. They were so addicted to pleasure and entertainment and the arts that it sowed moral corruption into their entire society. But do we learn from that? No, because we're doing the same thing. Adultery and sexual deviation were promoted and established as normal behaviors in their culture so you didn't bat an eye for anybody who participated in that. But do we learn from that? We're not learning. And the family unit began to disappear. Babies, unwanted babies, were just deposited in an open field and left to die and be devoured by the animals or starved to death. Nobody wanted the babies because families were not valued. It became so bad, and the Roman authorities realized the disintegration of the family was impacting the health of their empire, their culture, society. They began to toy with the idea of paying men just to be a father and just to stay married and just to raise children. But it was too little too late. On September 4th, 476 A.D., many historians believe that was the beginning of the end as the German general Odovacar successfully deposed Roman Emperor Romulus Augustulus and seized control of the throne. And the greatest empire in the world folded. And do we learn from history? But this is not a sermon about the United States not learning from history. It's a sermon about us. And the writer of Hebrews says, I want you to look real carefully at the story of the rebellious children of Israel in the wilderness. 
and I want you to learn something. So are we going to learn from history or are we going to repeat the mistakes? Harden not your hearts as in the days of provocation, King James Version, or rebellion, other versions. It was rebellion. It was provocation. They provoked the Lord. They repeatedly provoked the Lord. And it shows the mercy and the patience of God, but it shows the ignorance, and may I, would you pardon me if I say the stupidity, of Israel who just repeatedly did not get it and failed over and over and over again. So the writer of Hebrews says, ah, excellent illustration. Let's read it. Let's study it. Let's learn from it. And don't do that. And that's our challenge today. Learn from the story of Israel. Harden not your hearts as they did in the days of rebellion. Well, they provoked God in the wilderness of sin. When they complained about not having bread and they had manna given to them. They journeyed a short way to Rephidim and there they provoked God again because they wanted water. And it wasn't just pleasantly saying, God, we trust you, we love you, we know we're going to take care of you, our need today is water. It was the old carping and griping and complaining, God hates so much. Well, here we are again, no water. And what are you going to do about it, God? You have left us. As a matter of fact, they were even questioning, if you read the story, I wonder if God is even with us. No water. You know, we panic a lot of times when we get in a tough situation. And when we panic, we begin to blame God. Say, God, see there, you deserted me. You, you, all this big talk about I'll be with you all the ways, but if you was with me, I wouldn't be in this trouble right now. Well, sometimes he just wants to bring you through your trials. He hasn't deserted you. He's just wondering if you're going to desert him or if you're going to hold on to him. So they rebelled against him in Rephidim. They provoked him. And they changed the name of that place to Massa and Meribah. And the two words mean testing and quarreling. They journeyed back to Sinai, and they again provoked God. Every place God took them, they provoked him. And there at Sinai, Moses went up on the mountain. They didn't know where he was. Somebody began to spread dissension and strife and questions. And they began to sow these seeds of discontent in the camp and say, you know what, Moses went up there. He's probably been devoured by a wild animal. He's never coming back. What are we going to do? Somebody said, well, let's put our jewelry together. Let's build a golden calf and worship it. That'll probably answer all of our problems. So they did. And Moses came down and found them in this huge almost orgy around this calf, declaring, this is our deliverer. Now, can you imagine how quickly, how people could fall that quickly from being delivered by God to fashioning a golden calf of their own making and worshiping and loving it. But of all the things that they did to provoke God, there is nothing that is so vile, 
so wicked, so despicable, so disgusting, even though I painted you a raunchy picture of this golden calf orgy and party. Nothing as filthy and disgusting as the next thing where God said it's time for you to go and check out the promised land. And they made their way a little farther down the road to a place called Tabera where they camped and sent the spies to go spy out the land, came back and voted on it and said, we don't think so. God's vote wasn't even tabulated. It was all man's vote. And this so angered God, you would have thought the orgy thing would have done it. But this is the one where God said, I have prepared a land for you. I want you to go take it. And they said, no, thank you. And God was so insulted because they did not receive what he had prepared for them that he said, it's back to the wilderness for this company. 38 more years, you're going to wander in that wilderness and I'm going to put a cap on your lifespan. And everybody who came into this wilderness that was old enough to know better is going to die before they leave this wilderness. And I'm going to bring a new company out of the wilderness and bring them to the same place and invite them to go over. But as for you, you hard-hearted people, you have provoked me time and again, and I've been patient with you, and I have forgiven you, and I have provided for you, but when I brought you to the place where I'm going to give you something that is good, and you threw it in my face, and you said you didn't want to do it, I have no need of you. You're going to die in the wilderness. Now that's the problem, is God has something good for you. Let's put it on a different dimension. God has something good for Westside. But if we don't receive what God has, if we don't take what God is promising, promising us, if we hold back in fear, if we don't want to go forward, put it on any level you want to put it, make it your own private life, make it your church, whatever you want to do, if you don't want to receive what God is trying to give you because you say it's too much work, it's too dangerous, it's going to cost us more than we want to do, we don't want to do anymore, God is going to let you die in the wilderness. He'll let another generation come and He'll give it to them. He wants somebody who is willing to receive the promise and take the responsibility of what it takes to receive it. Let's be careful. I want to speak of the word today, not only as a matter of relevance, it's for us, but I want to speak of the word as a matter of urgency. Today, today is the message of the Holy Spirit. Today the message comes to us. Today we are responsible for hearing and obeying. It's urgent. When are we going to completely surrender to the Lord? Today. Mister, young man, when are you going to put away childish things and start acting like a man of God? Today is the message of the Holy Spirit. Lady, when are you going to learn to trust God and quit fretting and quit stewing and quit worrying and just trust in God? Has he not proven himself? When are you going to do that? The Holy Spirit says, today. Not tomorrow.
last week today. Now, while the time is still available, because we don't know that we're going to have tomorrow, tomorrow may never come for you. We have business to take care of. And we have no guarantees. We've got 24 more hours to do that. There was a man in my hometown that ran a salvage business. As long as I remember living in that town, he was well known, although he was a rather lowly worker. He wasn't uh, the elite, but everybody knew him. He was the junk man. And toward the end of his life, he became critically ill. And they rushed him to Kansas City Hospital. And my father, who knew the man, he and my dad knew everybody in town. He was a gas, natural gas service man. So he was in and out of houses, any house that had natural gas. He was in and out of houses all over town for 30 years. He knew everybody. And he'd heard that this man was in the Kansas City Hospital. My father was already retired. He decided, I'm going to go down to Kansas City and see him. Don't know that my father had ever had a social interaction with this man other than just knowing him, meeting him in the course of business. But he had heard he was sick. He goes down to Kansas City. He walks in and he talks to him about his soul. And he tells him... His need for Jesus explains that. And he says, do you want to give your heart to the Lord? And the man said, no, not today. Maybe later. And dad said, no, not later. Now, today. And the man gave his heart to the Lord right there. Sometimes you just have to meet their objections. Sometimes you just got to knock a little sense into them. Dad said, today. Is the day of salvation. The man prayed the salvation prayer, the sinner's prayer, right then and right there. He wasn't going to let him off with someday. Someday isn't going to get it. You might not be alive tomorrow. You might not make it to next week. I don't know what you're planning on doing for God, but the Holy Spirit is saying today, don't lose your opportunity. Today's the message of the Spirit. Tomorrow is the message of hell. Plenty of people who believe in God, believe in heaven and hell, and they know they're not right with the Lord, and they want to go to heaven. When this life is over, they plan on somehow being there, but they are procrastinating. They always plan to make it right with God at another time. Tomorrow, next week, Next year, just not today. But if every day you wake up, your motto is just not today, somehow you never get there, do you? The Holy Spirit says, today, it's a message of urgency. What are you planning on doing for the Lord? Let's take it off of the theme of salvation. You've got this desire to do something for the Lord. And life is slipping away from you. And you keep these big dreams and big ideas. One of these days, I'm going to do something for God. Today. Today. If it's always tomorrow, you're going to do something. You're never going to get it done. Today. Number two. I move to another part of this scripture. Where in the middle of this lesson that the writer is teaching us about Israel. 
not to be like them. He makes this application. He says in the 13th verse, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, church is a venue in which we find the regular opportunity to encourage one another. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever come to church and been discouraged by somebody? Well, that's discouraging. And shame on those who use God's house as an opportunity to spread discouragement, to attack, to divide, to murmur, to complain. This is a place where we should come and encourage one another. So my question to you is, you've been here for a few minutes now. Who have you encouraged yet? Let the Holy Spirit smite you with conviction right now. Who have you encouraged? Have you isolated yourself? Are you one of these that wants to show up late and leave early so you don't have to face anybody? Well, you're not encouraging anybody. Encourage somebody. There's somebody sitting here very close to you that is discouraged. They are coming today hoping to find encouragement. But wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody, while you're talking to somebody else, realizes it's not their best day today. And you just encourage them. And you remind them of things that they already know, but it just helps to hear it. God loves you. God cares. It's going to be all right. I'm going to be praying for you. What a place to come where we have an opportunity to encourage one another. Let the Holy Spirit help us today not to use God's house as an opportunity to be a stumbling block for anybody else. Not to use his house for a discouraging opportunity, but is used to use his house that if we can send somebody away that we have encountered with a little lighter load than they came in because we have encouraged one another. The writer says, harden not your hearts, but encourage one another. Now, encouragement is a kind of a broad term. Sometimes I think, and this is just my own theology, if I'm wrong, it's only my fault. But sometimes I think encouragement includes a smack on the back of the head. You just need a little encouragement. Let me encourage you. But this comes with a warning. Not everybody has given you the aegis and the permission to smack the back of their head. So don't try that with strangers. But there's some people you know good enough. You've got the relationship with them. That they're stuck. And all they need is for you to give them that nudge to get them out of that discouragement. You just reach over there and get them that, that friendly little Holy Ghost pop. pop. Come on, man. Get with it. God's going to take care of you. No more negative stuff. 
God loves you. Start talking positive. You just need to nudge people just the right way sometimes. Iowa produced one of the greatest wrestlers in the world, Dan Gable. Phenomenal record. And Olympic wrestler. And he trained so hard. He was consumed with wrestling. He was going to be the best wrestler in the world. Went all through high school, never lost. Went all through college until his last match in college. And he lost it. And he was not prepared to handle losing. He was only prepared to handle winning. So in spite of all of his training and his discipline, and he would not abuse his body and the drugs and the alcohol because he was going to be the greatest wrestler in the world, in spite of all that, he loses. And after his loss, he goes out to a bar and he starts drinking with his friends. He's discouraged. He lost. And his mother goes looking for him. Where's Dan? Walks into the bar and goes over there and pops him up the back of the head and said, Grow up! And walks out. It's all it took. Sometimes we just got to get past that pity party. But encouraging one another. But that's not the only thing. It talks about encouraging one another how often? Did you read that? Daily. Now, I don't think you have to keep a log. And within every 24-hour period, prove that you found somebody to encourage. But what it does mean is this should be a constant concern of yours to be an encourager. I challenge you with a handsome reward for any of you to find anything in Scripture that tells us God wants us to be a discourager of other people. He wants you to be an encourager. Daily, he wants you to be an encourager. At all times, he wants you to be an encourager. You don't know what's going on just below the surface of the people you're looking at. Sometimes they put on the best face, and they're crying on the inside. Encourage one another daily at all times. Now, here's the second thing about being an encourager. And that is, you have to know how to receive encouragement before you'll be a successful encourager. Here's how you receive encouragement. Sometimes we're too proud to receive the, the upbraiding, the correction, which is sometimes encouragement, that other people bring to us. Sometimes we're so proud that we think they're just tearing us down. But to be a good receiver of encouragement... We have to hear what somebody is saying to us. And we have to process that through the Holy Spirit. What are they saying for my good? Because sometimes you're going to be in the position of sharing with somebody else something they don't want to hear, but they need to hear. So when you become good at the art of receiving encouragement in all forms, you'll be so much better and more effective at being an encourager. And all of this business about encouraging one another is a preventative measure against a condition known as the hardening of the heart. It says encourage one another. You have this Christian duty to encourage your brother and sister. 
And then it says, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, your encouragement might keep somebody from going hard-hearted towards God simply because you cared enough to say, I'm praying for you. Because you cared enough to say, brother, I am concerned about your behavior. I am concerned about what you've been doing lately. This doesn't look like it's healthy for you. Would you consider... Would you listen to me? Because when you see the hardening process beginning to set in to somebody else's life, I think too often in Christianity, we've been the kind that just sits back and watches people atrophy and, and say how sad it is and pray from our remote closet. But what about going over to somebody who's struggling and saying, I'm here to lift you up. I'm here to get you back on track. We are a community. It takes us all to encourage one another, locking arms one another, to travel that road into heaven, to make it all the way. Be an encourager. And the point, final point of my sermon is, if you hear his voice, are you listening? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. If you hear his voice. See, it's not a question of is God speaking to us today. He's speaking. He never did quit speaking. It's a question of are you listening? The voice of the Holy Spirit is too often falling on deaf ears. He's calling people out of darkness, but they love their darkness. He's calling God's children to come out from among them and be separate. But they love their connection with the world. And the wild side entices them back. If you're listening, the Holy Spirit is saying, do not harden your hearts as in the days of provocation. Don't provoke God. Don't doubt Him. Believe Him. Trust Him. Go for His promises. But if we don't do that, we develop this hardened heart, this deadly condition. Do not harden your hearts. And that makes it sound like the hardening of my heart is my responsibility. I have to take ownership of that. I made my heart hard. I did that to myself. And the writer is warning us, don't do that. Don't harden your hearts. But every time that we squelch the voice of the Holy Spirit, we harden our heart a little bit more. And every time we cross the moral boundaries God has set for us, we harden our heart just a little bit more. Proverbs 22, 28, over which I could develop an entire sermon, but I will resist the temptation this morning. Says, do not move the ancient boundary stone which was put in place by your ancestors. Context, it's just the wise words of an old man that says, son, boundary stones have been set on the property here. They've been here for generations. We have honored that from generation to generation. Don't go out there and start moving that stone because you are defrauding your neighbor. These stones are set don't move them. Live as good, honest people among the rest of the, uh, the people surrounding you, among your neighbors. Don't move the stones. That's the context. But the application is very obvious. There have been boundary stones.
stones set by God. Not set by man. Man doesn't know where to set them. There have been boundary stones set by God. And every generation has honored those boundary stones. But we're looking at a generation today that is kicking the stones. They're moving them. These stones don't belong here. That's the philosophy of another generation. That doesn't represent the boundaries we want. And they're moving the boundaries out. And it is sickening. It is nauseating what is happening to the moral boundaries in our culture today. But it's nauseating what is happening to the moral boundaries in the church today. I don't understand people who march under the banner of Christianity, who call Jesus Christ Lord, who pray to Him every day and they want to go to heaven, that they have a filthy mouth. I don't understand that. I don't understand this culture today that is taking down all of the taboos against the raunchiest, filthiest, nastiest curse words you've ever heard in your life and is becoming a part of our everyday conversation. I don't understand the world trying to do that, but I sure don't understand Christians who are picking up on that and trying to talk like the world. I don't understand that. But I sure don't understand this nonsense and this trash flowing from the pulpit where preachers think they have to talk like that in order to connect with somebody. Somebody is moving the boundary stones. Somebody is redefining what is sin, what is righteousness, and what is approved and permissible. God's word is very clear on the sexual boundaries. And it's sad enough that the world is smearing the lines. It's bad enough that the world is moving the stones. It is a tragedy that the Christian world is helping move the stones. That the Christian world is joining in the new definitions and the new society and the new culture. Moral boundaries are being reset by each generation. And the strange thing about it is every generation that moves it only moves it so far because they still have something that they count as not permissible. Something is still sacred. It's just not the same thing that my father thought was sacred. And every generation is appalled that the next generation doesn't understand their concept of what is sacred and what is right. And so every generation just moves it and moves it and moves it until finally there are no more boundaries. God's word is not up for a vote. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to people The Holy Spirit is warning us of the boundaries God has set. But are you listening? Or are you turning a deaf ear to the Holy Spirit? Because when we deafen our ears to the Holy Spirit, we harden our heart. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Do not harden your heart as they did in the days of rebellion. Can you hear the Spirit's cry? Are you listening? Are you heeding? Did you notice in Hebrews 3, if you opened your Bible, you would see it very clearly. 
the writer goes back and quotes from the 95th Psalm today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And then the writer pauses and makes an application to his readers. Listen to the wisdom. Harden not your hearts. Encourage one another daily. Then he repeats the entire thing. Did you notice that? It's there twice. He goes back and once again, today, he says, just like it's written. Well, he's already said it once. How many times do I have to say it? Until you get it. The principle of God's word is anything that is repeated like that means that's bold-faced, underlined, italicized, set in brackets. It is emphasized every way you can think of emphasis. That means this is the theme of this chapter. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. And he said it twice. He's speaking to this generation. The Holy Spirit is warning about the deadly disease of the hardened heart in this day and age. He's pointing to the history of Israel as a clear example of how God ultimately deals with a rebellious heart. He's promised something for you, but the rebels will never inherit the land. You'll die in the wilderness. Do you really want to die in the wilderness short of receiving God's blessing for you? The Spirit is calling, but the question remains, who is listening? Who will heed His call? Bow your heads.